Welcome to Detox Bedtime Stories. I'm your host, Isabella Voss. Let's get settled in. Tonight, we're reading Treasure Island, retold from the Robert Louis Stevenson original. Part 1. The Old Buccaneer Chapter 1. The Old Sea Dog at the Admiral Benbow A great number of people have asked me to write down the whole story of Treasure Island, and that I shall do. But I will leave out the location of the island, because the treasure is still out there. The story begins back when my father was running an inn called the Admiral Benbow. The night was bitter, and we could hear a howling wind outside when the old seaman, with a scarred face, first made his way through our door. In he blew, a strange sight, with his sea chest being dragged behind him in a wheelbarrow. He was strong and tall, with nut-brown skin and a blackened pigtail hanging over a dirty blue coat. In fact, everything about him looked dirty, including his hands and nails. The whiteness of the scar that spread across his cheek stood out against his grimy skin. He whistled and sang a song I would hear many times. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest, yo-ho-ho, and a bottle of rum. After the man wrapped his heavy stick on the floor, my father appeared. Our guest seemed not to notice him at first, so busy was he at looking around our inn. A handy cove, he said, and convenient too. Been busy lately, have you? No, my father answered, and that was the truth. Business had been slow. Well then, he said, this fine place will do for me. Hey you there, he said to the man who pushed the barrow. I'll want some help getting my chest upstairs. I'll stay down here for a bit. He went off in a gruff tone. I'm a plain man. Bacon and eggs is what I want. And that view up there to watch for ships. You'll call me captain. He noticed my father's doubting look and then threw down some gold coins, which he'd taken out of a small leather pouch. You let me know, he said fiercely, when I've worked through that. There's more where that came from. Though he looked shabby and his manners were coarse, he seemed used to being obeyed. The man who carried his things told us he had just come into port that morning and that he had asked for a quiet inn along the coast. That was all we could learn about our mysterious guest. He was a silent man who spent his days upon the cliffs looking through a shiny brass telescope out 
across the horizon. At night, he would sit by the fire in our parlor. He would often not speak when spoken to, and just as suddenly would blow his nose like a foghorn. Our guests kept their distance from him, as did I and my father. After his evening stroll, he would ask whether any sailors had come along the road. At first, we thought he was lonely, but soon we realized he was hiding from someone. When a seaman did come by, he would watch through the curtains and be silent as a mouse. He started to take me into his confidence. One day, he promised me a silver fourpenny a month if I would watch with my weather eye for a one-legged sailor to let him know if he appeared. He would sometimes scowl when I asked for payment, but would soon give in, knowing it was more important that I keep a lookout for him than to hold back my pay. Keep a sharp lookout, he repeated, for the one-legged man. This one-legged mystery man haunted my dreams, and on stormy nights, I would see him take shape in my nightmares. With his leg off at the knee, and then at the hip, then as a monster with a leg in the middle of his body, he ran through my dreams, chasing me over fences and across fields. I was paying dearly for helping him. As though I feared the man, I was less afraid of the captain than most. They cowered as he sang his wicked, wild sea songs. On stormy nights, he would tell terrible stories and urge us all to sing his chorus of yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. The guests joined in for fear of their lives. He glared and slapped his hand on the table, flying into rages whenever the mood was upon him. None dared leave the table until he had finished his singing and storytelling and had reeled off to sleep. And they were truly scary stories, dreadful tales of hanging, plank walking, and storms at sea. He delighted in telling us he had lived among the wickedest men who ever called themselves sailors, and his rough language shocked us as much as the crimes he spoke of. My father thought the inn would be ruined. People would stay away, he said, but I think the captain's presence brought newcomers to our inn. They were afraid at first, but they soon allowed some excitement to enter into their quiet lives. There was even a party in his honor, where the young men called him Sea Dog and Old Salt. 
and claimed he was the sort of fellow who made other nations show respect for us at sea. But he stayed on long after his money had been spent, and that started to bother us. My father just never had enough courage to insist on more. If he mentioned it, the captain roared at him and stared my father down until he left the room. I'm sure that was one reason my father became so ill. The captain never changed his clothes, and when his hat frayed, he threw it into the sea. He repaired his own coat, and by the end of the stay, it was nothing but patches. He had no visitors, neither wrote nor received any letters, and spoke to the neighbors only when he was bored. None of us ever saw the great sea chest when it was open. He was only challenged once when Dr. Livesey came to check on my poor father. During a break, the doctor was having his dinner and speaking to another guest in the parlor while he waited for his horse. I followed him in and compared his neat appearance with that of the captain. His coat seemed so clean, his manner so bright, next to that filthy old pirate. Suddenly, the captain struck up his song. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. I thought this chest was referring to his sea chest, and it got tangled in my dreams with the terrible one-legged monster of a man. But by now, we had all stopped paying attention to that song. It was only new to Dr. Levesey, who looked quite angrily at the captain before going on with his conversation. Soon, the captain waved his hand for silence and we all stopped talking, except for the good doctor, who went on speaking loud and clear. The captain glared at him and commanded, Silence below decks. Dr. Livesey turned to him and said one thing, I have never before found the need to listen to scoundrels, and I certainly shall not make any exception tonight. The captain jumped up in an awful temper and flicked open his knife, threatening to stab the doctor. Dr. Livesey stood stock still and spoke in the same voice, loudly 
saying, If you do not put that knife away, I shall see you hang. They glared at each other with terrible eyes, but the captain soon folded and sat, growling like an old dog. But the doctor was not finished. Now that I know your kind is in my district, know also that I'll have my eye on you. I'm not only a doctor, I'm also a judge. Let me hear one word of complaint against you, and I'll have you hunted down and driven out of town. Let that be warning enough to you. The doctor's horse soon came and he rode away, but the captain held his peace that evening and for many more to come. Chapter 2 Black Dog Not long after, something mysterious occurred that rid us of the captain, though not of his affairs. That winter was so severe, and it was clear my father would not live to see the spring. He grew worse every day, and the inn was left to my mother and me to look after. Our hands were too full to worry about our unpleasant guest. One cold January morning, with a layer of frost on the cove and the sun still low, the captain rose earlier than usual. With glass in hand and hat tilted back, he trudged down the beach, his rusty sword swinging under his old blue coat. He strode along, snorting, as if still insulted by Dr. Livesey. Mother was upstairs with father, and I was settling the table when the door opened and a pale, waxy man with two missing fingers appeared. I had been keeping an eye out for a man with one leg, and here was one who, though he didn't seem like a sailor, had something of the sea about him. I asked what he wanted. He sat down and motioned for me to come near. Is this here table for my pal Bill? He asked, leering. I told him I knew no Bill but that the table was for a man we called the captain. Well, he said, old Bill would want to be called captain. Has a deepish cut on his right cheek and a funny way about him. Now, is my boy Bill in this here house today? I told him he was out walking and he demanded to know where. When I told him, he stood up and made a mock salute. I didn't know what to do. This fellow had a strange manner, and he waited behind the door like a cat 
for a mouse. Soon enough, we saw the captain approach. Now, he said, let's give Bill a little surprise. Saying this, he hid us both behind the door. I could tell he, too, was scared. His heavy breathing gave him away. He loosened his sword and stood ready. When the captain marched through, heading for his breakfast, the stranger called out, trying to be brave. Bill! The captain turned as if he had seen a ghost. Black dog, he gasped. Who else? asked the thin man. Ah, he said. We've seen many good years since I lost these two claws. And with that, he held up his terrible hand. Well, the captain said bluntly, you found me. Now, what is it you want? The thin man then sent me away. I listened as well as I could to get the sense of their rude talk. Suddenly, they started yelling. The chair and table went over, and the captain with his drawn sword was chasing Black Dog, who started bleeding from his shoulder. The captain swung again and put a notch in the sign over our door that is there to this day. Despite his wound, Black Dog ran into the distance as if his life depended on it. The captain stood, staring after him in a bewildered state. He ran his hands over his eyes, and then suddenly, he fainted. The captain was laid out on the floor when my mother came running down the stairs. She called for me and we both managed to raise his head. He looked pale as death. We could see his wound but could do nothing to help him until Dr. Livesey arrived and examined him. He's had a stroke, he said, matter-of-factly. The doctor sent me for water and then ripped up the captain's sleeve, which revealed many tattoos. There was one of a man hanging from a noose, beneath which read the name, Billy Bones. Well, said the doctor, we must now try to save this Billy Bones life. And with that, he opened the captain's vein. Blood started pouring out, and then the captain awoke, crying. Where is Black Dog? There is no Black Dog here. You've had a stroke, and I've saved your life. And that against my will. So saying, the doctor and I, with much trouble, helped the captain into his bed. He had drawn enough blood for the captain to lie at rest for a week. One more stroke like that, 
the doctor warned, and he would be finished for good. Chapter 3 The Black Spot When next I saw the captain, he was pulling himself up from his bed and begging me to come closer. I did so, and then he barked out, I can't lie here for a week. I've been seeing visions of old Flint himself. Now tell me, he said, have you seen that sailor? I asked him if he meant Black Dog. No, not Black Dog. There's worse than him. They may hand me the death note we call a black spot, and they're after my sea chest. Now ride to get the doctor and tell him to call all hands to me here. I was Flint's first mate, and I'm the only one who knows where the treasure's at. He told me where he hid it before he died. Keep your eye open for the man with one leg and black dog, and I'll share it all with you, upon my honor. With that, he collapsed. But I did not ride to seek the doctor's help, because that very night, my kind father passed away. His death was so sudden, I could hardly spare a moment to think of the captain. He would upset us all with his bad behavior on the very night before the funeral. As we mourned, he sang old sea songs, scowling and growling like an old blind dog. And then, the day after the funeral, I was sitting out by the back door, just thinking of my father, when a strange blind man drew near. Hunched over a knobbly old stick, he called out, asking where he was, and I answered, the Admiral Benbow. When he drew closer, I saw that he was eyeless and hooded, and suddenly he had my wrist in a deathly grip. Now, boy, he said, take me to the captain or I will break your arm. Take me to him, and when we are near, say, here is a friend for you, Bill. He then twisted my arm hard and marched me into the inn, where I yelled out as he had commanded. The captain sat up, suddenly fully awake, looking terrified and mortally sick. He tried to rise, but was too weak. Now, Bill, sit where you are, said the blind man. I can't see, but I can feel a finger stirring. Business is business. Now hold out your left hand. Boy, take his left hand by the wrist and bring it near to my right. I did as he told me, and he dropped something from his hand into the captain's. There, he said, that's done. 
and without uttering another word, he leapt out the doors with terrible speed. When the captain regained his sense, he looked into his palm with horror, saying, Ten o'clock, six hours left. We'll get them yet. With that, he sprang to his feet, suddenly clutched his throat, and fell to my feet. I ran to him, but all in vain. He had died. Though I never liked him, I burst into tears. It was the second death I had known in the space of two days. I think we'll leave it there for tonight. We'll continue with chapter four next time. Until then, sweet dreams.